week and starting chapter 15 for us. The end is in sight. You might notice. You might notice we've just got uh, one more chapter after chapter 15. And so uh, this morning we're going to jump right kind of into the middle of chapter 15. As you're turning there, uh, I, I did want to point out that in the bulletin uh, this morning, there was one typo. The Life at Liberty class is not at 6. Matt announced it right uh, when he announced it. It's at 6.30. So it'll be at 6.30. We will have some, some dessert and coffee uh, together here this evening. And we're, we'd like to do it in our homes. The, the pastors like to share it and do it in our homes. But there's just too many of you to fit, in, uh, at least in my home, uh, this Sunday night. So we'll meet in here uh, at 6.30 here this evening. Acts chapter 15, uh, Acts, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm actually going to take a running start at our passage this morning. We're going to start, uh, the sermon is going to be in verses 12 and following, but I want to take a running start at it and go back to where we'll preach through uh, last Sunday because it has bearing on where we're going this morning. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to brothers. And he's saying, I want to remind you of the thing that's of number one most importance, the gospel. I delivered to you as of first importance, verse three, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried. And then here in the middle of verse four starts the theme for the rest of chapter 15, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Now the rest of chapter 15 is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse five, and he appeared to Cephas, then the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul is saying there are eyewitnesses who have seen the resurrected Christ. I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which is what Paul has just finished doing. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as being raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So Paul is addressing something, a problem there in the Corinthian church. Some of them are confused or they're saying there's no resurrection from the dead. Verse 13, but, there, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, and now he's gonna list for us a bunch of problems that come about if Christ hasn't really been raised from the dead. You may have noticed, I hope you noticed, we sang songs this morning that celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I know that we're a month ahead of Easter, but here's where we are in the book of 1 Corinthians right now. So we're gonna celebrate Easter early here this morning. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, verse 14, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
Then those who also then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But it's another one of those big buts in the Bible. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Father, would you please help us to understand your word very clearly this morning? I pray that it would give our hearts hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some things in life that we can't imagine living without. Some of you have creature comforts and conveniences that you enjoy and you think, man, I can't imagine living without my whatever it is, my cell phone or my sports team or a microwave or air conditioning, right? There are some things that we can't imagine living without, but there are actually a very, very few things that you can't live without, that, like, that you actually can't live without, right? You need some oxygen, you need some water, you need some food, shelter's really handy as well. And then beyond that, the rest of it is kind of creature comfort stuff. Brothers and sisters, when we read this passage together, it becomes very clear that there's yet another thing that we can't live without, and it's actually even more important than oxygen, food, water, and shelter. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when I say you can't live without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I don't mean that you can't necessarily live physically without the, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are those who don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ who are physically alive, but you cannot live spiritually forever without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul makes this point incredibly powerfully here in this passage. You, you might live a few years here on this earth, 60, 70, 80, 90, but you won't live forever if the resurrection isn't true. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul lists for us the huge problems that we'd face if there was no resurrection from the dead. The main point this morning is this, you can't live without the resurrection. You can't live without the resurrection. And Paul's going to show us six really big problems that we face and that we cannot overcome if the resurrection isn't true. He points these out for us very clearly. And in verses 12 and 13, Paul is discussing the problem of not believing in the resurrection. If, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's addressing the problem that he's aware of there in Corinth. Apparently, there were those who somehow were followers of Jesus Christ and yet were confused about the resurrection or didn't believe in the resurrection. And Paul, just in verse 13, makes it very clear. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then that means Christ is dead. You're, we're believing in someone that's dead. He gives us six reasons why this is a big problem. Number one, first of all, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, verse 14 says this, then our preaching is in vain. Think about that for a second. A bunch of you have gathered here together this morning, 130, 140 of you have gathered in here together this morning to hear me stand up here and talk for a little while. That would be an enormous waste of time if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead. 
See, I'm not standing up here and just giving you tips on how to make your life a little more convenient and a little better. We're looking at something that's far more significant and far more eternal than that. There would be, there would be no point to preaching. There would be no point to listening to preaching. In fact, there would be nothing to preach if the resurrection of the dead, if the resurrection of Christ wasn't real. Why is that the case? Because without it, you don't have the gospel. Paul has just finished in verses uh, one through 11, he has just finished explaining what the gospel is and he ends with the significance that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus, verse 20, is called the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first fruit, the very first fruit to break the soil is the first fruit. Jesus Christ is the first of many who will be raised from the dead. We preach the message of a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in another month or so, uh, Easter Sunday will be the Sunday where churches all around the world will celebrate that resurrection. But the reality is, every single Sunday, we celebrate that. Every single Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if this resurrection isn't true, then I have nothing worth your hearing this morning. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't true, you can throw your Bible away and spend this hour and a half in a much better way, sleeping in, eating brunch, reading the newspaper. The second problem, if Jesus Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, is in the second half there of verse 14, it says this, that your faith would be in vain. So not only would the preaching of the word of God be in vain, but like your faith would be empty. There wouldn't actually be the substance, the thing to hang on to. This would mean that you're believing in a dead man. See, what makes our faith significant is not our faith, but the object of our faith. It must be real in order for our faith to be meaningful. We don't congratulate everyone who just has faith in anything if someone is really, genuinely, sincerely convicted that the earth is flat, we don't go, you know, I really applaud you for your faith. That just, that, that takes a lot to have that kind of faith. We don't, we don't applaud them for that. We, we say, they're crazy. We might need to lock them up. Who knows what else they're going to, they're going to uh, hold to. to. To have faith in a savior that's not been risen to have faith that Jesus was my savior, but Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, would be on the same level as me struggling in a body of water. Imagine me in the middle of a lake and I'm drowning and I have faith that George Washington is going to save me. Right? Like, I just, I have faith. And you can say, you can have all the faith you want, but George Washington isn't going to save you. Why? Because he's He's dead. Right? So, so if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. You can believe that George Washington will rescue you. He's not going to. The third problem is in verse 15. We, Paul is referring to himself as one of the apostolic preachers, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. So preachers would be liars, Preachers would be liars. They would be standing in front of you telling you things that are not true. Sometimes we might listen to a preacher on the radio or on TV and we sometimes wonder, is he, is he really, is he telling the truth? Brothers and sisters, what preachers say must be the truth. 
All the witnesses and preachers of the resurrection would be liars if the resurrection wasn't true. Those during the time period after Christ's crucifixion who said that they saw him after he was risen would be liars. And all those who preach that Christ has risen, was, is risen now would be liars. Number four, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then verse 17 says that sinners would be hopeless. No one would be redeemed from sin. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are actually still in your sins. The sins that you desire to be saved from and the sins, the consequences of the sins that you desire to be delivered from upon your death, you'd be hopeless. There's no one to save you. You don't get deliverance from your sins because you want to be delivered from your sins. You get deliverance from your sins because there's a savior who has accomplished that saving work and he has defeated death on your behalf. Someone must deliver you from your sins. And if Jesus died but didn't rise from the dead, then he was defeated by the same thing that will defeat you. Think about that for a second. If Jesus died but didn't rise from the dead, then he was defeated by the same thing that's going to defeat every single one of us, sin and death. The Corinthian salvation would be only a state of mind with no correspondence to reality. Their faith would be futile. Number five, the fifth problem that comes from the reality, or the, the, if, if Jesus Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then there's a fifth problem in verse 18. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And this is talking about those who knew Jesus Christ as their savior who have perished. And, and many of us in this room can think about people who have gone on before us. Grandparents, aunts and uncles, children, grandchildren. We've experienced these kinds of drastic um, heartbreaking events in our community even recently. We have the Ralstons here with us again this morning. We're all aware that, that we suffer and we grieve. And brothers and sisters, if Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then our grieving suddenly actually becomes hopeless. See, even our hope to be reunited with family members in the future is, is welded to the truth that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And the sixth and final problem that I see here in these few verses is that in verse 19, it says this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people, of all people, we are most to be pitied. Here's what that means. If you're a Christian and the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't true, you're pitiful. You're, you're the, of all people, you're the most to be pitied. Pitiful. I mean, we know what this means, right? When we see someone, we say someone's pitiful. They're, they're, you know, they're, of all people, they are the most that we just feel sorry for them. This is because of the sacrifices made in this life in the light of the hope of the life to come. If you look down in verse 32, the end of verse 32 is right, is true. If, if there is no life to come, we would be better off to eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die and then there is no resurrection after that. Listen, I've heard some people say this before. They, they'll say things like, well, I'm a Christian, but even if Christianity isn't true, I've still, like, it's, it's been a good life. And, you know, uh, what have I lost really 
Um, if Christianity isn't true, I still kind of lived a, a, you know, a pretty good life. Brothers and sisters, if Christianity isn't true, you're to be pitied. It's a, it's a, you've, you've lived your life believing a lie. You've ordered your life according to a lie. If Christianity isn't true, if the resurrection isn't true, then you know what you should go from this room and do today? Eat and drink and be merry because you're gonna die and that's gonna be it. It makes sense to me that those who don't know Christ as their savior would live that way. I don't give them a hard time. It makes sense. It's the right response if the resurrection isn't true. It's not worth believing just because it makes a good life for you. One author says this, if this world is all there is, the believer is a martyr to an illusion. Anybody is better off than he is. Those are some big problems if the resurrection isn't true. But look in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. You, you, I mean, you almost feel like Paul was like itching to get there, right? Like, hey, if the resurrection is not true, this is a problem, 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 but the resurrection is true. The resurrection is true, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So those six points that I just enumerated for you, those six points that we just walked through, those six points that I just walked out uh, for us, since the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, well, then that means that all of those things are true. Number one, preaching isn't pointless. Preaching is powerful. We have the greatest message on earth and we should be eager to share it with others. The gospel is our message and motivation. We don't evangelize, tell other people about Jesus primarily because we love them. We evangelize primarily because we love Christ we know and we love and serve a risen Savior. He is really risen. Do you preach? Do you talk about the risen Christ? Preaching isn't pointless. Preaching is powerful. Number two, this is the second set of points. Faith is, so I'm, I'm, these correspond to the first six. Number two, faith isn't futile. It's useful we don't believe in a fairy tale. Our faith, which is a gift from God, is faith in the only thing in the world worth trusting in. It's the truth. Do you have faith? Have you come to a point in your life where you know that your sin has separated you from God and that the punishment of that is eternal separation from God forever in hell? If you'll turn from your sin and put faith in Jesus Christ as your savior, you too can be saved. We know it's true because he was raised from the dead and you too can be raised from the dead. Number three, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, preachers aren't liars, they're prophets. Preachers aren't liars, they're prophets. These men, Paul and the other apostles and then those of us who have carried the message of Jesus Christ on through the years we aren't liars we're we're prophets Paul was an eyewitness we're heralds of this good news a preacher comes in the name of the Lord and says thus saith the Lord and we preach 
we preach a message that includes a miracle. I, I read a quotation this morning from the uh, late, great uh, J. Gresham Machen, and he said this. He said, if you took the miracles out of the New Testament, it would be easier for people to believe, but it wouldn't be worth their believing. If you took the miracles out of the Bible, if you took the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ out of the Bible, it would be easier for people in a modern world to believe, but it wouldn't be worth their believing. We preach what is true. Number four, because the resurrection is true, sinners aren't hopeless. They're redeemed. Of course, for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So again, I ask, have you been saved from your sins, your lying, your cheating, your disobeying and disrespecting and blaspheming and covetousness and worry and lust and fear and pride? They're all sin. Have you been saved from your sins? Everyone is born a sinner and under the condemnation of God. But to turn from sin and put trust in Christ as your savior, he will save you. And if you do this, you don't have to bear your sin. Your sins are paid for. You belong to God because of Christ. And number five, because the resurrection is true, saints, those who died believing in Jesus Christ, they, they aren't dead. They're currently alive. And I believe that their bodies physically will rise with them at some point as well. We can have confidence that those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ are in heaven with Jesus. This is why we, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We have hope because Jesus Christ is the first fruits. He's the first resurrected. He's the firstborn raised. And we're to follow. Number six, Christians, if the resurrection, since the resurrection rather, since the resurrection is true, Christians are not pitiful. They're blessed. Christians are the most blessed and least pitiful people on earth. Now, sometimes people might look at us and think, oh, you poor Christians, you do this and you don't do that and you have these crazy beliefs about different things. But brothers and sisters, since the truth is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then we of all people are not to be pitied. We can walk through all of the same sorrow and heartache and challenges that this life dishes up for everyone, everyone. Like nobody gets an easy path. No one makes it easily through. Everyone has hardships. Every single person in this room this morning is carrying weight, is carrying burden, has something that they're not sure that they're going to make it through. And whether you're a Christian or not, those are the circumstances of everyone's lives. But a Christian knows that there is a hope beyond this life. There is a future beyond this life. There is a life beyond this life. When the Bible talks about hope, it's not a cross your fingers and I hope my team wins the Super Bowl. It's not that kind of hope. It is a full assurance, a belief, a settled rest in the future. And one of the most devotional moments I remember that I recall when I was in grad school, I remember reading this in a class I was taking. I read this in a theology book and it said this. The resurrection is particularly significant. For inflicting death was the, was the worst thing that sin and the powers of sin could do to Christ. Jesus hangs on a cross and he dies. And in that moment, you can imagine Satan is pumping his fist 
and the powers of Satan and death are rejoicing. Death's inability to hold him symbolizes the totality of his victory. If you want good thoughts and commentary on that, go back and listen to to Will's sermon from last Sunday. What more can the forces of evil do if someone whom they have killed does not stay dead? We love hero movies. We love these stories. We love movies where there's the forces of evil and there's the good guy and then there's the innocent people, right? And he's coming to save and rescue those. There's no such thing as innocent people. But he's coming to save and rescue those who are facing this this terrible force that's far beyond anything that they could hope to overcome in their own strength. And this this, uh, redeemer, this rescuer, this superhero comes and he gives his life, and, and, in, and in most of the good movies uh, that we watch or books that we read, there comes a point and we think, oh no, he's dead. But like we already know, but we know he's not dead. He's gonna get up. You're gonna see him all of a sudden gasp for breath and come back to life and defeat the enemy. Why do our hearts respond? Why do we write stories like that? Why, why is there so much hope in that moment? Yes, the good guy's going to win. He's going to rescue all the bad, he's going to rescue the, the bad people from the, from the enemy, from the evil forces. Why do our hearts respond to that? Our hearts respond to that because it is a true story. Batman is not true and Superman is not true and Iron Man is not true, but they all point to a story that is true, a story that's not just a story. It's the story of the world. And Jesus Christ, when he, raised, when he was raised from the dead, that was that hero defeating the evil one where the evil one has done the worst he can do. He's inflicted his worst possible pain. And what do you do? What do you do if you're in a fight with a guy that you can't beat? What do you do if you're shooting a, a guy that can't be killed? How do you defeat an, a person that absolutely will rise up again every single time? That guy conquers you is what happens. Death's inability to hold him symbolizes the totality of his victory. What more can the forces of evil do if someone whom they have killed does not stay dead? Brothers and sisters, this is the power of the gospel. Our Christ is alive and is reigning and there is a future kingdom coming where he will rule this earth with no rebellion from his creation. You're on the right team. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're on the right team. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, repent and believe the gospel. Today, repent and believe the gospel. You're on the right team. We have every reason to be completely bold and enthusiastic in our living and in our evangelism because Jesus Christ is alive. He has been raised from the dead. So jump all the way down to verse 58. Jump all the way down to the last verse. Remember, Paul is arguing about for the resurrection and explaining the resurrection. We're going to unpack that more. But he gets to verse 58, and he says this, Therefore, and that therefore is there for the reason of reminding us all of what Paul has just explained to us regarding the resurrection. Since the resurrection is true, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Brothers and sisters, this is the conclusion of the sermon. This is the application of the argument that Paul is making here. Listen, because this is true, you can face the hardships in life with a steadfast, immovable countenance. You can always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Get after it. Go hard for Jesus Christ, knowing this, that your labor is not in vain. You you can work hard for Christ and work hard for his kingdom and take the, the message of the gospel forward in your life, knowing that it's true. And Christ is resurrected and your work is not just empty. You're not just kind of spinning your wheels here on earth and then you're going to die and there's going to be nothing. Because these truths of the resurrection are true, go hard for Christ in the hope of the resurrection. There are a lot of things that we can live without, but we can't live without the resurrection. Paul makes that very clear for us here in this passage this morning. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me just let me encourage you to, even today, even right there in your seat, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. You could pray a prayer as simple as, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to be separated from you. Forgive me of my sins. And I'm putting my faith and trust in you to be my Lord and Savior. There's no magic formula. There's no magic pill. You don't even have to say words out loud. It is a matter of the heart. For the rest of us, for those who do know Christ as their Savior, this passage this morning is one that gives us rock-solid stability for the lives that we must live. We can be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Father, would you please... Use your word in our hearts and in our lives this morning. Father, I pray that we would be people who live in the good and the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I know I finished up a little early this morning, a, a lot early this morning. Um, I have an announcement that I, uh, that I need to make to our church congregation here this morning. Who's, who's uh, the security in the lobby right now? Is AJ? Okay, he can just.